Hi folks, welcome to another instalment of the Worldwest Nation podcast. In this episode, we're talking with professional photographer Glyn Jewis about his incredible journey photographing the last of our surviving veterans from the Second World War. We'll be learning all about his inspirational project. Uh, it's the 3945 Portrait Project, the results of which will be on display in an exhibition held at the Soldiers of Oxford Museum, which is due to go on display very soon indeed. So, Glyn, great to have you here uh, this evening with us on the World's Nation podcast. Um, I'll be honest with you, your inspirational project struck a chord with myself here at World's Nation. Can you tell us a little bit more about this mission, its aims, and obviously your ultimate goal? Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, very, very kind of you. Uh, <laughs> but the actual the, the project, it, it literally started out, mate, as a, as a personal project. And I guess it still is, really. It's, it's a personally funded project that kind of happened by accident um i was i was originally looking to photograph as a photographer or i've always believed in having personal projects as well as doing the regular work because personal projects keep you uh, interested they keep you excited and helps you build your skill level and i a while back now i saw a, a film the remake or not remake a modern day version of the dad's army movie and i really liked it i said to a friend of mine i'd love to photograph people like that and he said to me oh there's there's a local group you do know that don't you a reenactment group and i didn't know that so uh, i found out who they were i went to go and see them and i kind of said that i wanted to photograph them um they'd been photographed many times as you can imagine doing you know all the kind of stuff that they do when they go to events teaching people about the war and stuff but i showed them the kind of pictures that i wanted to do and they were like yes so i photographed them loved it and then from the pictures i did with that i then got contacted by some people who were doing a book and they wanted to use one of the pictures and then i eventually saw a picture done by a friend of mine called ian allers who's a photographer down in portsmouth no devon and it was of a veteran called uh, Ted Owens and I thought wow a real veteran not somebody who's pretending not somebody who's dressing up and uh, contacted Ian he put me in touch with this guy photographed him which was an amazing experience really wow kind of time as I'm sure you know from that people that you've interviewed um, and that was it then I thought I've, I've got to I've got to photograph these people because so many times veterans are photographed when they're at events I wanted I thought one thing I really want to do is to give veterans and their families a classic, timeless portrait that they can have and that then can be in their family for generations to come. I'm a big believer. I mean, you hear the phrase of there's no such thing as a, as a free lunch. I beg to differ. I, I really do beg to differ because I actually it's something that I personally wanted to do. Um, and I guess really that's probably been the hardest thing about the project is that people thinking there must be some, some kind of catch and really there hasn't been. So... But uh, yeah, I am absolutely loving it. I feel like all the work I've done before in my photography career has been like a almost like an apprenticeship to get me to this point. I feel like, I actually feel as corny as it sounds that I was meant to do this. I mean, I've been loving the photographs, obviously following you on on Facebook. And I mean, what was it like? Then I guess Ted Owens was your first veteran you'd spoken to. Yeah. First you'd photographed, and what was it like for you at that moment in time? Uh, well, going to see Ted, I'll be honest with you, I was actually quite nervous. Because I'd never actually met a real veteran. Do you know, as daft as it sounds, I'd never actually met and sat with somebody that I've kind of seen depicted in movies that I've watched over the years. I'm actually going to go and sit and spend time with somebody who really was there and actually experienced it. But um, you know, going to see Ted and when I first met him, it was it was it was a fantastic experience. I must admit, 
I, I think I had to be conscious of my jaw not being open. I was, <laughs> I was literally so because the stuff he was telling me, he was so matter of fact about it. And something I've noticed in all the veterans I've come across since I've been doing this is the humility mm. is just it blows you away. And it's, it really is a case of we were just doing what we were meant to do. It's a job we had to do. You know, oh, I'm not a hero. And it's like wow, it, it really was. It, it was a career changing moment, I would say. And when did this idea? Actually, when was this idea born? And when did you start first start this project? Because I'm guessing something you've been doing for a few, well, a few, I know you've definitely doing it for a few months now, but when was it really that you thought, you know, I'm going to go for this? Do you know, that's a good question. Certainly I did I did the pitch with Ted Owens, and I'm guessing now, because it's scary how quick time goes by, but it must be it must be a year. It has to be a year. I'd have to check, you know, and do have a look at the old metadata and the pictures, but it must be a year. And literally the moment that I did Ted's picture, it was then a case of, I need to do more of this. I need to find other veterans, our surviving veterans, and photograph as many as I can to be able to give them these pictures. Because I tell you what, there's been I've I've never felt so rewarded in my whole time as a photographer as I have until doing this particular project. It's not a financial reward at all. It is a an emotional reward because when you give somebody a picture that they really are like absolutely love and the, the perfect example in fact on the home page of the project website i've put a video on there when i gave the portrait to a veteran called david edwards who's become an incredibly good friend his reaction and i show this to photographers when i do talk at photography events i say this is what we're ultimately aiming for to get this kind of a reaction you know what i mean it, it's proper like wow it's, it's a reaction that money can't buy and it is exactly why you want to be a photographer well, let's talk about that i know we're obviously we're going to talk about the veteran we'll come back to the projects in session but you're a professional photographer. Just tell us through your career and what you've been doing in the past. Just give us an idea. Uh, well, my photography career didn't actually, as daft as it sounds, I didn't start out as a photographer. I started out as uh, what's called a retoucher. So I did, uh, I started out working in Photoshop. That's where, that's kind of like my happy place. And I, when I kind of first started doing that, I got um, contracted to do work for the BBC and Sky and what have you. So I was working on programmes like The Apprentice uh, Miranda Hart. I did um, some stuff with Gillian Anderson's picture and all that, all that, that kind of a work and magazine work. Um, but then I had um, an opportunity to write a book, my first book, which was called the Photoshop Workbook, uh, with the publishers in America called um, Peach Pit Press, and that was purely a Photoshop-based book. And once that book had got out there and was released, I kind of drew a line under on the sand and said, right, I now no longer want to be known as the person that does the retouching. I want to be the photographer. And since then, I just kind of pushed and pushed and pushed. And I moved away from being known as the retoucher or the Photoshop guy to becoming the photographer. So now that's that's what I do. I do uh, commercial work. I do a lot of portrait work. Um, but I'll be honest with you, the, the project now, I'm kind of fortunate in the way that the way my business works is I've got multiple kind of um, areas within my business of like tutorials that get sold, royalties from books and so on and so forth, which gives me the freedom to be able to put the effort and time I am doing into the project at the moment. Well, that was going to be one of my questions. Obviously, having a job as well and trying to do all these interviews, I'm under no illusions that, you know, the clock is ticking on this. There is a time to mm. on which to try and get, for example, myself do the interviews, yourself try and capture these portraits. It's constantly a battle against time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it is. Yeah, and that's, I guess that's probably been... The uh, I guess there's been two challenges if I if I call them challenges or two things I've had to overcome. 
Uh, and one of them has certainly been time because I'm one of these people that once I've got something in my head, I don't like to delay. And, and quite rightly, like you say there, you know, none of us are getting any younger. And certainly, you know, it's unfortunate, but some of the groups I'm involved in, involved in especially uh, the, the group on Facebook, Andrew Wright set up the Normandy Veterans Family and Friends. Every day you see on there that he's posting another man down, RIP. And it's literally, I don't think there's been a day gone by when I've not been a member of that group that I haven't seen a post like that. And you think, we, have, we are on a real time scale here. And that's why I just do not want to delay I mean, I've done, I think since May, we've got a new car in May that I've been using and I've done over 10,000 miles since May, huh. traveling around the country to try and get all these done. So I know the feeling the mind certainly adds up very quickly. <laughs> it certainly does. Oh, yeah. I suppose what I've got, I've got a list of questions here, but I, let's just, uh, we'll go off topic because you, you're firing stuff at me. I bet it's getting my thoughts constantly going here. Um, what has been <laughs> your biggest challenges? You mentioned one there with the project, your biggest challenge and your biggest, biggest highlights. Yeah, okay, so the, the, the biggest challenge, okay, so obviously time is one of them and we both can understand why why that's the case. But I think the first challenge, uh, and I do get this occasionally now, although it's kind of quickly dealt with, is the trust side of things, getting in to see a veteran. Um, because I'm, I'm fully aware that over the years there are veterans that have been, and I don't know if abused is the right word, but they've been taken advantage of, I guess, when let's say some photographers have gone in, they've they've gone to take their portraits, and you know they've made all kind of promises like you'll get a picture, and they've never got a picture, and all that kind of stuff to have to contend with. Now, when you get a veteran that's had that happen to them quite a few times, and their family are aware of it, as somebody who is entirely honourable with what I'm looking to do, it's it's really it's quite a hurdle to get over that of look you will get this everything i tell you is going to happen and i actually remember that i what i did was i did um i didn't know how to go about photographing a veteran i thought how i don't even know any how do i go about doing it so i literally found the group that uh, on facebook that i've mentioned andrew wright's group and i did a long post in there to say look this is who i am this is what i do this is what i'd like to do and my intentions are entirely honorable you know, and I showed them the portrait of, of Ted Owens to say, this is the kind of thing I want to do. And thankfully, some people kind of dip their toe in the water and kind of like, all right, who are you then? Let's just see what you're all about. And there was a woman called Sheila Harding, whose uh, father, Reg Charles, and there was Jane Barkway Harney and a couple of other people who contacted me. And it was almost like, OK, let's let's see if you are what you say you are. And sure enough, went to go and see Sheila and you know, I just had the most amazing time. And you know Reg, I mean, it was just a wonderful time. I sat there, we had a buffet that Sheila did for us, which was great. But I remember I, I got to photograph uh, Laurie Whedon, one of the glider pilots. And uh, Jane Barkway, who's become a great friend, Jane Barkway Harney, she, um, I guess, she, you know, if we're on, I think she was probably testing me out to see what is he really like. So I made my way to see Laurie and Jane came along to see what I was doing, quite rightly, to see, you know, who is he? Because, you know, it's a stranger going into a veteran's house, an elderly person's house, quite vulnerable. Um, and it, we had a blast. We had an absolute blast. And literally then, I'm, you know, I'm quite grateful. I think that I kind of, I won Jane over. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, and then after that, it was like, you're, you're okay. You do what you say you're going to do. You're, you're respectful the way you deal with the veterans. Um you won't get them to do things that they don't want to do because some people just don't know boundaries. You know, they're, 
they'll they'll do all sorts of stuff. In fact, that's one thing I know I've got I've got on tangents here, Lawrence, but one thing I'm really conscious of because I like to photograph them and sometimes I'll do I record them telling me something. But one thing I'm really aware of is, and this is all about the boundaries, not going into an elderly person's home, asking them to tell me events about the war, which we'll never fully understand how horrific they were. So I'm going to ask them about it. That's now in their mind. I'm then going to drive home and have a happy life with my wife while I'm leaving them in their houses now with all that in the front of their mind. Do you know what I mean? So some people think, I'm not going to talk about this. So when I do my interviews, I talk about things that will leave them in a happy place. Like, what was your training like? And can you think of anybody that was, you know, any instance that were like really funny? Think, oh, I remember that character. And just get them talking like that. Do you know what I mean? So... Uh, it's a long answer, but I, <laughs> but I guess um, trust, gaining trust has been the biggest challenge. Did you ask me, was there anything else you wanted to know as well, was it? <laughs> it was uh, your biggest challenge and also, I guess, your your best moments as it were. What's been your biggest highlights? Oh, mate. So, do you know what? As cool as it sounds, so many of them. There really have been so many. But it, I, I have made so many friends with people that I have the utmost respect for. It, it's just like... You almost have to pinch yourself. But I'm, I, I have shed more, and I guess you have as well, shed more tears than I care to admit about this whole thing. But I remember the one time, the, fir- the first time I went to go on to see David Edwards, uh, who lives in Abergavenny. Uh, oh, wow. I mean, he made me so incredibly welcome because he said that, certainly his son Chris, who also has become a great friend, said that his dad never really had had that much kind of focus on him. You know what I mean? I suppose... Because there are certain veterans that you seem to see a lot because they're probably they're very, very good communicators and, and all that kind of stuff. But David's just a very humble kind of guy and he hadn't had much focus. But I said, I'm going to come and photograph him. I did that. We had a great time. And when I drove away from the house, I had a message come through from his son, Chris. And it was this, uh, he said, oh, my dad has told me to tell you there's a family here for you in Abergavenny. And I'm like, whoa, do you know what I mean? Proper heartstrings. I can't. I can't even explain how much that meant, and I thought, "Wow, it just just brilliant." So it's it's that kind of stuff which is the heart. I'm sure there are certain people that I've met that I thought, "Oh my god," you know. Only recently, you know, Alan Scott, you know, a Spitfire Ace. I've since a little boy, I've wanted to meet a Spitfire Ace, and I knew of Alan Scott because I'd seen him on the TV, and I got to meet him. I was a little bit starstruck, really. I was a bit felt a bit daft, but. Um, but the biggest things is that emotional attachment and just being able to say they're your friends. Do you know what I mean? And and they acknowledge you and they know you and to be able to say when you ring them up and it's, it's just brilliant. I love it. I absolutely love it. Going a little bit back on ourselves, did you have any family members who served during the Second World War? I, I did, yeah. I got uh, my granddad, Fred Elson. He was a uh, 7th South Staffordshire guy. So he was over in Normandy. He wasn't there on D-Day. I believe he was there at the end of June. So he was around about the 21st, 22nd of June and actually came in on Juno and then went through to Cruelli and whatever around that particular way there. Um, but I never got the chance to really talk to my granddad about it. I mean, my granddad passed away about 1986, I believe. So going back, you know, over 30 years ago. But my uncle Jeff, um, who, I mean, Uncle Jeff's like a dad. He's just the, the best, best uncle. He really is. And my Uncle Jeff is ex-military. Um, and he's uh, written books all about the research of the Staffordshire regiments and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's because of my Uncle Jeff, really, that I've got this huge interest. And I suppose the photography from my Uncle Dave. So with my Uncle Dave as a photographer, my Uncle Jeff, it was destined to happen. But um, 
I mean, years ago, I remember my uncle got married. My uncle Jeff got married to my auntie Janet. He had a 1940s themed wedding and I was dressed as a military police officer. It was brilliant. All the family were there in 40s clothing. Even the hotel, the George in Litchfield, they blacked out the windows. They had the old air raid sirens, called people in for dinner. It was fabulous. But Jeff's best man was a guy called Richard Rutter, Dick Rutter. And Dick Rutter got the military medal. Uh, and he was a South Staffordshire guy, the most amazing man who I was able to spend time with years ago. I mean, he died over, maybe in the last sort of five years or so, Dick. And in fact, you probably just can you just see over my shoulder? Can you see in the corner by yeah, the door yeah, just there? Now. That's his the the cane that he would have had, his pacing stick that he had, and I've now been given that. And that is, I'm getting that box framed up. That'll be on the wall in the studio. And that is a wow. prized possession for me. And it's got the Staffordshire knot embossed on the top of it. That is seriously a prized possession. But Dick Rutter was just the most amazing man. He really was. Incredible. What was his wartime service then? Uh, blimey. He served in a, quite a few different regiments. But, you know, he served alongside my, um, my granddad. And he kind of went through the ranks. Uh, I've got books on my right-hand shoulder here that my Uncle Jeff did that there's all this stuff about him. But the story about how he got the military medal, he talks about the time when he was in this in the trench um, and he was with a guy called Tansy to his right-hand side and they had the Bren gun. And a short way down, you know, across the field, there was a trench with the German soldiers in. They were firing at them and they were firing back. And, and Dick Rutter explained it. He kind of described it as all of a sudden, he said, Tansy span around like a top. So Tansy had been struck in the head and he span and then dropped to the floor and he died. And then Dick Rutter's grabbed the Bren gun and literally emptied it. In absolute anger, he then climbed out of the trench and grabbed the Bren gun by the muzzle, which you can believe, you know, obviously he's going to be blazing hot. And he then ran and jumped into the trench where the Germans were and battered a couple of them in complete anger. But then he got injured and was knocked out and, and what have you. I mean, there's so much more stuff that he told my uncle Jeff, which he couldn't really tell while he was in you know in his earlier years because of you know the sort of severity of it i guess and it wasn't the nicest thing to talk about but i know he shared quite a lot with my uncle jeff towards the end of his life when he was when he was able to sort of get that off his chest if you like this project is so much more than just the portraits though isn't it it's about giving back as well as supporting those that help secure the freedom we know today um you've raised quite a bit for the veterans charity as part of this project haven't you yeah we have it's um well first of all i did um in fact, it, it all came from the Ted Owens thing. Uh, I originally set out my first ever GoFundMe, having met Ted. I wanted to raise some money to help him out. It got a bit misconstrued when the press got hold of it, but you know that's just kind of thing what happens, I guess, when the press got hold of it. Um, but in no time at all, I think it was in the space of just under two weeks, we raised seventeen thousand pounds. There was people from all over the world donating. Remember, there was two kids in Norway that donated their pocket money. There was a guy who gave his weekly military pension to put towards it so we raised seventeen thousand pounds and what we ended up doing it's a long story cut short but basically what we ended up doing was splitting the money 50 50 so that ted ended up with roughly eight and a half thousand and the other eight and a half thousand i i donated to the veterans charity uh you know which uh, danny greeno does the most amazing work for so that's helping you know modern day uh, veterans in immediate need and so that was the first time we did it there was um some an image was used by the Royal Mint, and the licensing fee for that I donated to the veterans charity. Uh, and there's some more stuff coming. In fact, tonight I've just done a, I did a Facebook Live video earlier on about um, the exhibition that's coming up. Uh, but next year, my brother, who is a current uh, serving uh, military guy in the medical corps, we're going to do a 
a tandem parachute jump with the Red Devils. And the goal is to raise by June of next year £50,000. And then that will be split 50-50 between the Veterans Charity and the Taxi Charity for Military Veterans. Wow, sounds incredible. Yeah, it's, it's just, I've never done fundraising before this. And, you know, it, to me, more than anything, it kind of showed the power of social media. I mean, social media can be full of so much junk. This was like, a, you know, it's like, wow, actually, there is a lot of good can come from this because it was just incredible how it snowballed with Ted Owens. And my attitude is that, you know, if we set a goal of 50,000, I reckon we'll far, far exceed that. Um, there'll be all sorts of stuff planned, you know, but um, it's, it gets such a buzz. I can see why people get a buzz out of raising money. It's the best. It really is. I love it. Quick question then. Excited, nervous or a mixture of, uh, mixture of both for that tandem jump? Uh, oh, it's, mate, it's been on the bucket list for ages. So if I'm going to do it, why not raise some money for this? I, I, I'm a bit of a adrenaline junkie. That kind of thing, I'll just think, ah, whatever, I'll do it. I'll do it. It's fine. I, I would thoroughly look forward to it. And let's face it, I went to go and see Fred Fred Glover. Now, Fred did one, I believe, when he was about... Not, his sister got him one for his 95th birthday, and he's done a couple more since. And you think, what excuse have I got? Do you know what I mean? I've got to do it. You know what I mean? And at least I'm not diving out of a plane with the kind of stuff that Fred would have been and many other the people that we've both met, you know, I'm landing on a nice day on a nice bit of green grass. I've got nobody trying to hurt me. I saw, uh, I spoke to Fred back in May and he was going about trying to do another one. So uh, I'm sure that's... Is he really? Still, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're just made... Uh, these people, they're just made of incredibly good stuff, aren't they? They so really they are. are. <laughs> um, We've well, already touched on it, actually. Am I correct in believing that some of these images have already been licensed for use by the Royal Mint? And one in particular, which I think I saw, was um, a friend of ours, Alan King. Yeah, Alan King's picture was originally uh, was used. And that's, that's kind of weird how that came about because it just so happens through social media. I'm, I'm quite fortunate, I think, because of what I do. I've got quite a good following across social media networks and stuff like that. And I remember that the uh, there's a guy, I didn't even know he worked for the Royal Mint, one of the guys that follows me. And he said they had a meeting in the in the offices and they were looking for some pictures for a coin that was coming out, which coincided with the 75th anniversary of D-Day and the 50 years of the 50 pence piece. So they were doing a series of coins to commemorate it. And they wanted a veteran's portrait to be amongst all the kind of merchandise and everything that was going to be, you know, to advertise the coin and stuff. And then this guy, apparently in this meeting, they're really struggling to get good pictures. And this guy's gone, well, I actually follow a guy on social media who does these veterans portraits. And they looked at it and was like, whoa, okay which is a great feeling to know that they're reaching out there because I never expected any of this to happen. It literally was for me to give people pictures. And then all of a sudden, it's becoming much more far-reaching. Um, yeah, so they read, they licensed the one with Alan King. And since then, I've now become a supplier to the Royal Mint and they've licensed three more images that are going to be used in campaigns over this coming few months. In fact, I, know they did a, I saw they did a recent blog post and three pictures were used in the blog post as well. So... That's, that's great. That's just a lovely thing to know that they're reaching out. And, it, you know, this this can only help but promote veterans and get more eyes on onto the veterans, and, and you know, which is what's needed. Fantastic. And who, who are the other three of interest? The other three? I knew you were going to ask me that. Actually, <laughs> Put you on the spot now. there. <laughs> yeah, we've got... Let me just... I'm going to have to load up this thing here. We've got... I hope you can still see me. I know that we had... Uh, so we've all already had Alan King. One of the other guys was David Woodrow. Uh, a guy called Idwell Simmons and oh blimey 
you got me on the hoof there. I'll have to kind of, I'll have to have a I'll have to have a think about that. I'm not too sure who the other one was. <laughs> but I'll 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 find out and I will let you know. I'll definitely That's let you funny. know. You've spoken with a fair few people over the few, last few months, haven't you? Yeah, it's, I, it's, I was asked that the other day actually. It must be touching it's gotta to be it can't be far off fifty, surely. It can't be far off. That's incredible. Um, it really is. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um one of the other photos I've seen used, and it was actually on the BBC News of a right thing recently, um glider pilot Jim Hooper. Oh yeah, love him. What a wonderful, wonderful man. He really is. And when then, I mean, um, yeah, Lindsay Aspin got in touch with me, um, and she would have been the lady. If you saw the article on the BBC, you'd have seen when Jim walks around the corner, and you got the the reporter with him, the lady with him, Lindsay Aspin. She's been incredible help. She really has. And she kind of said, look, you know, could could they use the picture for this, that, and the other? I'm like, absolutely. You know, this wasn't done ever. This project was never done with the intention of putting money directly in my pocket on, you know, on the back of photographing veterans. So if this can be used for that, then go for it. Uh, and it was just the best. I took so many screen grabs, you know, <laughs> I, mean, I was a bit, a bit, bit crazy really, but I was getting the screen grabs on the, on the iPlayer and I was like, Oh, that is so cool. It was just brilliant to know that the picture had been used of a, a picture of Jim. And I, I can remember every single moment about taking that picture and where we were and who was there and things that were said to then see that on the BBC News helping to promote a story with Jim, just, you know, what, what more can you ask for, really? It's brilliant. Well, it's also been used with the Blind Veterans UK charity, isn't it, as well, as part of that? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, that came before. That was, to sort of, again, to raise awareness of the Blind Veterans um, and, and Jim's picture was there. I think I, th- I can't claim to be the first person to make Jim a cover model, though, because apparently he has been a bit of a cover model before. <laughs> um, but at least I said, like, no. At least I'm photographing in a professional model now, Jim, so we can get you on another uh, another cover. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and he was chuffed to bits with it. He really was happy. So I'll tell you right. what, for our listeners uh, who might not have seen the BBC News piece, what's Jim's story? Because obviously the uh, 70th anniversary of Operation Market Garden uh, is a key yes. part of this. So can you tell us a little bit more about Jim's yeah. wartime service? Yeah, Jim, uh, Jim obviously a, a glider pilot. Um, and when I've sat and talked with Jim, I mean, uh, Jane Barkway-Harney was there when I interviewed him. Um, I'll say interview him, just asked him a couple of questions and he just talked and talked and talked. It was amazing. But long story short is that he flew into uh, into the Netherlands uh, once he's kind of, he's landed and he was, in, he ended up very quickly being taken prisoner. Um, but it's the story behind what happened to him while he was taken prisoner. His kind of escape, if you like, was just phenomenal. I mean, me and Jane were literally, again, just jaws open thinking, Wow. And he was talking like it was nothing. Do you know, it was just just an incredible story. He's, um, I mean, we've got the you know the videos on the project website there, um, but yeah, I've, I've actually become really really fond of Jim. I really have, and seen him because obviously Jim lost his sight in uh, his kind of like beginning around about sort of once he'd got into his nineties, his eyes start started to go, and he can just about see. He's not completely blind. He can make out shapes and shadows and stuff like that. Um, when we gave him his portraits, he could still make it out. And what's incredible is you still get emails off Jim as well. He's got a specially adapted kind of keyboard and screen and stuff like that. But he's one of these guys that just takes everything in his stride. He has got an amazing story. And I would I would highly recommend anybody to have a, have a check out and learn more about Jim, as with all the others, really, I guess. But the, there's something about the glider pilots. You know, they are they were described as the ultimate soldier, weren't they? Because not only were they these pilots, I mean, flying an aircraft that the minute that's released, they're committed. There's no turning back. They're committed. They're going in no matter what. 
Um, and the minute they land, it's take off the flying hat, put on the soldier's hat, and get out there and become a really good soldier and infantryman. It's like, pff, like the like the the early kind of special forces, if you like, just incredible people, absolutely incredible. Total soldiers. You're absolutely right there. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely loving your photos. I mean, they capture for me. They capture the very essence of each each person's character. Um, they're brilliant and. You tell us a little Thanks, bit mate. behind the scenes, I guess, how these come together. Because obviously we only see the end product, really, but it'd be great to know how you actually formulate that. Yeah, I, I kind of, um, before I started doing the pictures, I knew I, I'd spent a, quite a lot of time looking at old photographs from like the 40s, the traditional military style portraits that you'd see. Pictures that I probably used to call sweetheart pictures, the pictures that a soldier would give to their, their loved one when they were leaving. So they've got a great photo to remember them by, you know, when, the, when they're away fighting. Um, but when I looked at those pictures there, there was just an obvious thing. Well, there was a few things that are really obvious about them. They were very, very simplistic. But there's a, th- you see, there's a thing with photography that people sometimes can tend to think. If, you keep, if, it's sim- if it's simple, it's boring. When that is actually quite the reverse. The lighting is kept simple so that that becomes second nature and classic and timeless. What really comes out then in the picture is, which is great to hear you say it, is the character, the person. Do you know what I mean? So I've kind of the, the lighting style which I've adopted for these pictures here is an old style portrait lighting called Rembrandt lighting, very, very simple. A background that itself is very, very simple, a grey mottled kind of background, so that it doesn't draw focus from the subject. Um and then when it comes to actually taking the pictures, because I've done it so many times, it is just second nature. So that when I'm actually photographing somebody, I don't think about the photography. It, it really is secondary. I'm concentrating on them. But the key thing is not to go into their home with your camera kit straight away. Leave it in the car, go into the house, break down some barriers, get them to know who you are, have a bit of fun, have a cup of tea and a bit of cake. Got to cut back on the cake. But just getting in there and having, having a chat. And eventually go, tell you what, let's go and get the pictures. And it take us 10 minutes. It literally does take us 10 minutes. And and then, you know, then away you go. So it's just... Um, it's just one of those things you've got to, you, if, you, if you practice, 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 so that it just becomes second nature with the photography, you will get so much more out of the person. But actually, in fact, there's, again, going back to the social media here, I did something today where I posted a little tip as to how I, you know, get them to look at the camera. Because as well as the pictures in the olden days being very simple, if you look at old photographs, so many times the subjects weren't looking down the lens, they were looking past the lens. And by, by when somebody does that, you can't help but think, cool, what are they thinking about? Do you know what I mean? Rather than looking straight down, they're looking past, you think, cool, what have they experienced? What are they thinking about? So I thought, how can I get them to do this without trying to say, turn your head, do this, do that? And all I'll literally do is once I've taken a picture of them looking straight on, I'll then get my hand and I'll put it in like a clock face and go, right, just turn your face so you're now looking through my fingers and they'll turn their face and they'll look, try to look through my fingers Right, do that shot, then move it down, move it down, move it lower, then do the same on the other side. And then when it comes to looking in the computer, I've got all these pictures here, all nicely lit, but different angles of their face. And straight away, you can see which angle suits that person because it's different for everybody. Some people do look great looking down the lens, but some people, such as the picture that I've done of um, Alan Scott a couple of days ago, Edwell Simmons is another perfect example of them looking past the camera. It, it just works for them. It's hard to describe why, but you just think, yeah, that works. That's incredible. So, yeah, to that's that's basically the behind the scenes. Yeah. Having already spoken with quite a few veterans since the project's launch, including commandos, parachutes, already touched on glider pilots, tank crews, members of the Royal Navy, the Air Force. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you must have heard some incredible stories. Can you share a few of these with us now? Uh, yeah, I guess the first ones that kind of come to mind, again, I've mentioned him a few times, but uh, Edwell Simmons, that is one heck of a story. Edwell was uh, a member of 4-6 um, Commando, Royal Marines. Um, and part of Idwell's story, which he didn't like to talk about too much, but a very good friend of mine called Jeff Hewitt, who kind of uh, coordinates and organises all of the Four Six Commando stuff. Um, basically, I was told that this Idwell's story was where they were captured by uh, an SS group whilst they're in Normandy, and Idwell and few members of his particular uh, regiment were kind of lined up against the wall and told to turn and face the wall, and. Behind them were a load of SS officers with rifles. They heard the rifles getting cocked. They were going to get shot. You think, oh, you're you're telling me now you were lined up ready to be shot. And they were told, do not turn around. But Idwell, being this kind of person that he is, he thought, no, I'm going to turn around and face them. So he turned and faced these guys with their rifles up, about to shoot them. But he noticed to the right-hand side, there was an officer playing around with a phosphorus bomb that they'd taken off the commandos, and Edwell shouted, don't touch it, you'll kill yourself. And it made the whole situation disperse and stop. And they were like, what, what? And that's what stopped them being shot. And you think, whoa. And you're on the edge of your seat when he's telling you this kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's just amazing. So that, that was one that straight away comes to mind. And another one really was a guy called, Gor- or is a guy called Gordon Drabble. Now, Gordon was a member of uh, the South Staffordshire Regiment, and a quick story about how we found about him, which was just the most amazing story. Um, recently, obviously, we've all been over to the uh, 75th anniversary of D-Day over in Normandy. We've all been over there. But my uncle Jeff, who I told you about earlier on, he couldn't make it over for all number of reasons. So he stayed at home watching the TV and he watched the bit where the Royal British Legion ship is taking over 300 veterans out. A lot of people on there. Now, when I got back from Normandy, my uncle Jeff says, here, I was watching the uh, Royal British Legion thing and I noticed one of the men on the ship there had a Staffordshire knot on his cap badge. How he, how he noticed him, I have no idea amongst all those people. But I said, really? He said, yeah, but he said, I thought they'd all passed away by now. That's like your granddad's regiment. I said, I thought they'd all gone. So I said, can you get me a screen grab? So he's gone to iPlayer or whatever and he's taken a screen grab, sent it to me. I then posted it in the Facebook group and within no time at all, somebody's gone, that's Gordon Drabble, that is. I know him. What? So this guy got in touch with Gordon Drabble, who happens to live in Sheffield. I have then got hold of Gordon on the phone, and I drove to Sheffield, and I spent some time with him. And that was amazing. And what's great now is that Gordon is now in communication with my uncle, and I've got some pictures here. Obviously, this is no good for the people who are listening, but you can see it. I've got an envelope here, and Gordon has sent some pictures some military photographs here oh, wow. yeah. for me to for me to give to my uncle Jeff. He's put it down. These are for Uncle Jeff. Um, <laughs> but, but anyway, the, the story behind <laughs> the story behind Gordon, he, he talks about a time when, again, they were in Normandy and they're approaching this what looked like an abandoned farm buildings, and he's got this guy next to him whose name escapes me at the moment. And as they're walking along, all of a sudden, all hell has broken loose because there were some German officers, uh, German soldiers rather, hiding in the trees, high up in the trees. And as Gordon and the guy that his guys that he's with are approaching, they've just let rip. They've opened up firing on, on Gordon and his colleagues with all the you know, automatic rifle, automatic machine guns and what have you. And Gordon told me about the guy next to him got shot and he said he was riddled with bullets and he's alive and he's on the floor. And literally while he was on the floor, he's just reached up and shouted, finish me off, you bastards. 
and then they've just finished him off and it's just like whoa do you know what I mean it's just this kind of stuff here you can't help but get a chill go down your back and you think I'm sat with a man who saw that happen and here I am now having a cup of tea in his front room 75 years on and we're talking about it. It's just, it's just mind blowing stuff. It just really, really is. And surreal. You know, there's, isn't it? there's two examples there, but yeah. It's that surreal element, isn't it? It's very hard to. It really is. Yeah. To picture yeah. and imagine it, and as you say, we will never understand and appreciate it. It's impossible no, because there's, there's certain things you get to hear about. I mean, we see, you know, you kind of think, well, yeah, there was people being shot. There was this, that, and the other horrible sights. But you know, you kind of the more time you spend with these people, as you know, you get to think of makes you think of other things, like the smells. Do you know what I mean? It's the smells that they would have experienced, which just horrific. You know, when you've got, you know, dead bodies being left there to, you know, to, to rot away. You've got uh, cattle being left and the heat and the smell and and not washing and the un- how uncomfortable it would have been not to wash and the lack of food and all those kind of sensations and experiences are added into things that they would have seen. You just you still cannot get your head into what it must have been like. It is a miracle. It's an absolute miracle that the people that we have the privilege to sit and talk to have not are not all suffering with incredibly serious cases of mental health issues. You think how, you know, it is to really sitting there in their homes, you're laughing and joking, cups of tea, talking away, talking about experiences, thinking this, this would finish most people off mentally. How have you, how have you survived all these years and not cracked up? Do you know what I mean? It's just incredible. Are there any which have personally resonated with you? I know I'm guessing the ones we've touched on here have, but I mean, are there any particularly that have hit a note uh, for whatever reason with yourself when you've been speaking to these veterans and you think... Uh, any that have hit a note? It's difficult to say, Lawrence, to be honest with you. There are so many. I couldn't I couldn't sort of like um, uh, say one particular thing that they've, ex- uh, they've told me about of, of kind of has really hit home. Because like I said, really, what I don't try to do is to talk too much about the horrors of war with them because I'm aware that I'm going to be leaving and stuff like that. Um, but there are certain stories that are funny that I've kind of, you know, that have stuck with me. And I'll always tell people about these that ask me about the project. Oh, what are you doing? And I say, oh, God, I'm photographing these veterans. And I just one guy, he told me this. And people love to hear that and that draws them in. So it's nice for me. It feels nice that I know funny stuff, not necessarily some of the horrors. Um, and the story I always tell people, it still cracks me up now. Think about how he was, not because I remember sitting in his house. <laughs> I can house, see you laughing Frank, already. Yeah. <laughs> it was just brilliant. It was Frank Pendergast. What an amazing man. Do you know what I mean? Seventh Battalion Parachute Regiment, an amazing man. And I'm sitting talking to him. And one of the things I said to him was because I like to ask about the training and stuff. I said, Frank, I said, why did you join the Paris, Frank? What made you do that? And then Frank, in the the only way that Frank could do it in his London accent, and I won't try and do it. But he basically says, uh, he says, when I, when I was a lad, you know, young man, I was a bit of a lad, you know. He said, so uh, he says, what I used to do was we used to go down to the mill wall every week, the football. And he says, we used to get under the fence, you know, not paying. We'd get under the fence and get in amongst the supporters. And whoever they were supporting, we'd support the other team. So when they scored, we'd cheer and we'd get these blokes turning around going, hey, what are you doing? And they were cheering for our team. And next thing you know, wallop and we're having a good old fight. He says, my hands were black and blue. They never recovered. I was fighting every week. I loved it. He said, fighting was my <laughs> life. He said, 
So that's why I joined the Paras. And it's just <laughs> stories like that just crack Brilliant. you up. Absolutely crack you up. It's just so, so funny to hear stuff like that. And then, you know, people like Tom Schaefer. I've got a real soft spot for Tom Schaefer. That has has my wife. And he's just brilliant. I just got to see Tom. And I was at a birthday party recently. I got invited to a, a birthday party by the taxi uh, charity up in London. It was George Parsons and Jeff Howard's 100th birthday. And um, I'm sat on the table. And opposite me on another table there was Tom Schaefer and... Because I, I knew Tom now, and it was just it was just so nice. Every now and again, I caught Tom looking over and just putting his thumb up, and I thought that feels brilliant. You know what I mean, I've got someone like Tom Schaefer, a veteran who knows me, and it just felt brilliant. And you know, and every now and again, Tom just goes Schaefer, he shouts it out, and it's just <laughs> think, oh, this is just it's just the best experience being around him. It really is, love it. What's coming up next for you with the project? You mentioned the exhibition, but we've obviously got to touch yeah, on that. Yeah. Why don't you take us through what's coming up with that? Uh, do you know what? I'm so excited about it. I can't believe now. We're, we're just under four weeks until the exhibition. But yeah, it's, uh, again, something I never expected to happen. Uh, but soon after doing the portraits, people said, you should have an exhibition. And uh, put the plans in place. And next thing you know, the Soldiers of Oxfordshire Museum in Woodstock, which is near Blenheim Palace, they're hosting the exhibition. They're really excited about it. And I thought they'd want it for a week, but they're hosting it for three months. Oh, brilliant. Which is brilliant. I know, yeah. So it opens on Saturday, the 19th of October. And there's a two-hour uh, opening event for uh, invite only for this particular event. Then it's open to general public. And there's there are some special things happening in that two hours. But I've been doing quite a bit of work in it. My mate Dave Clayton's been doing a lot of design work for it. My wife Anne's been doing stuff. I've been in touch with um, a uh, the Dutch embassy because there's a bit of a surprise for a certain veteran that's going to be there. Um, and there's some special guests coming as well, not just the veterans, some people that people will know who are going to be there. They'll go, I know him. I know who that is. <laughs> so they're going to be as well. So I, I am so looking forward to it. Um, yeah, really excited. It's just, it's for me, it's a, it's a chance to, it's going to get more people to know about the, the project, which in turn means more people aware of the veterans. And um, it's going to be a nice chance to, uh, for me, to be able to treat them like royalty for the day. You know what I mean? So I'm thoroughly looking forward to it. That's great to hear. And I mean, this is something I've touched on with a few people before is the, I've not actually been to Holland, so I can't personally commentate on this, but from what I've seen from the recent commemorations and from when I've been in France, the way that the veterans are treated out there compared to here oh, is just incredible, isn't it? It is a night and day difference. Do you know, at the start of the year in March, I was doing a, I was presenting over in Holland, um, a place called uh, Nykirk because there's an event called Professional Imaging. So I've, it's my third time presenting there. So I was there for four days, presenting on stage, doing live photo shoots and talks and stuff like that. And great audience, really great audience. But I did a talk on one of the days explaining about the project and showing pictures of the veterans and giving some of the stories of the veterans and then talking a little bit behind the scenes stuff. And the reaction was incredible. I mean... Not surprising the reaction because I know how incredibly fond of our veterans the Dutch people are, as are the French, but the Dutch in particular, they unbelievable. And I was getting people coming up afterwards crying and they were wanting to know more. And it wasn't a case of finishing your presentation, coming off stage and walking around. You couldn't walk. They wanted to talk to you and ask you questions. And he said, what can I do to help? And just brilliant. An amazing reaction to it over there. It really is. Um I've been invited actually to Veterans Week uh, in November, which I'm incredibly humbled by. They've invited me over and taken me around to certain events that are happening, which would be brilliant. But the project will be there next year as well. The project's going to move, the, the exhibition's going to move 
into France and to Holland during 2000 and where are we now? 2020. Yeah. Brilliant. Fantastic. Um, I'm actually glad you touched on that. How can people get involved and help with your project? Uh, well, do you know what? It all depends in what way they want to help. Um, if they know a veteran, then uh, what I would suggest is that they go to the website, which is simply 3945portraits.com, so-called because of the years. Some people have asked, is it 3,945 portraits? No, no, it's the years, 3945portraits.com. And on there, just contact me through the normal kind of channels, put your name and whatever, and just get in touch to say, look, if you know somebody... And at some point, I will be able to say, right, yes, we'll, we'll come and photograph them. You know, we're talking about people all over the country. So, you know, it's not like I can just jump in the car and go, I'll be there later. Sometimes you have to coordinate it to say, well, I know I'm going to be up in Yorkshire then. So maybe I could drive over to uh, Harrogate and I could do that then and so on. So, um, but I will do it. I'm, I'm determined to just keep on keeping on until I can photograph as many as I can. But then obviously there's the um, another way of helping. You know, there's the, the skydive going to be advertised soon. I'll be mentioning about that. And uh, all they've got to do is just give up having two coffees in the week and donate a fiver. That's all it'll be. That's all I'm asking to help us get to that 50,000. And then that's going to help veterans more than they could even possibly think. Especially when you think that the, the veterans charity, Danny Greeno says, to completely change a veteran veteran's life a veteran that is in immediate need the average amount they need is 100 quid to transform somebody's life and we're looking to raise 50,000 so 25,000 for the veterans charity i mean that if you can go give a fiver that's gonna that's transforming someone's life so that's all i ask just hold on until the uh, skydive is advertised send us the link and it'll be posted on world nation social media don't you worry we'll be supporting it um thank you mate one thing I want to definitely touch on before we, we let you go and have a, an evening cup of tea or coffee. Um, this past weekend, I've seen you posting, and it sounds like you've had an incredible weekend. Um, oh, two veteran yeah. interviews, two veterans photographs, and two incredible veterans at that, that you know, two I've heard of and know about. And I mean, that must have been something. A proper starstruck. I mean, seriously starstruck. The first guy, and I owe a huge thanks to Joyce Cooper, Alan King's daughter, for helping me out with this one, because she uh, she spoke to Jim Radford, who's you know we know we know Jim from certainly this year has become he's been on TV and papers for for singing the shores of Normandy, raising money for the Normandy Memorial Trust, and I thought, oh, what a face. I mean, the photographer in me took over. What a face. I've got to photograph him. I know he's a veteran, but look at that face. Um, so eventually I got hold of him, thanks to Joyce, and I went to go and see him in Lewisham, um, southeast London, uh, this weekend. It took me three and a half hours to get there, which was horrendous. But traffic, And it wasn't the distance. It was the traffic, as you'd expect in London. Um, but photographing Jim, it was a very, very quick photo shoot, really quick. Um, because he'd actually forgotten I was coming, I should, <laughs> I should have I should have rang him the day before and said just to let you know I will be there. But I've, I literally, do you know what? Quick story. I've I've turned up. Beautiful day. Knocked on his door. No answer. I'm thinking, I don't mind. Okay, I'm you know I'm quite a calm, placid guy. I'll just get in my car, drive away, and I'll rearrange it. But no, eventually he answers the door, and Jim's wearing nothing apart from a little white towel around his waist. <laughs> and he said, and I said, I went, Jim. He went, yeah. I said, photo shoot. And he went, oh. and he looked up in the sky and went, I forgot. Oh, no. <laughs> he said, I've just jumped out of the shower. He said, right, come in. I said, Jim, I can rearrange it. He said, no, no, come in, come in. So I've gone into his house. He took me straight into the kitchen. He went, right, kettle, tea bags, milk, sugar. Help yourself. I'll be down in a minute. And he legged it because he's so fit. 
He's, he literally ran upstairs. I can hear him having a shower, giving it lardy lardy upstairs. I have a cup of tea. Next thing you know, comes down, right, let's go for it. And I was, wow. So took his picture, really kind of tight space with the kit in his front room. But, you know, you manage, you know, you kind of adapt, adapt and overcome to steal a military phase. Uh, and you, you do all that and took the picture. Really happy with that. So that was brilliant to meet Jim. And he gave me a CD. In fact, I've got it here. Got his music on a CD there, which I'm just brilliant. All this folk, folk music. And then the next day, and this was... If I'm honest, this was a little bit of a childhood dream come true because I knew of Alan on and I knew of Alan, the old uh, Spitfire pilot. I was like, oh my god, Alan Scott. I'm thinking, I'm gonna meet Alan Scott. I mean, in my former life, I have I've worked with some people who are very high profile. I mean, I looked after for the day once I looked after Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was shopping. So I, wow. I was I was kind of like his protection for the day in a former life. And I was kind of starstruck then because I used to do the bodybuilding, so I was like, oh my god, I mean Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um but I was no more starstruck meeting Arnold Schwarzenegger than I was when I met Alan Scott. Because I was like, this is Alan Scott, a Spitfire Ace. There's something about Spitfires and the Spitfire Ace. It's just, you know, wow. And uh, I couldn't have been better. Fiona at the Royal uh, Royal Air Force Benevolent Fund, she helped me out. I spoke to Murray, which is uh, Alan's son. And they were so welcoming. So me and my wife have gone over there and turn up, beautiful place where he lives, and this beaming smile absolute beaming smile brilliant so well spoken and he was he was everything i would expect a squadron leader in the RAF to be he was so um i it was just brilliant it was just an amazing experience he he's just easy to photograph and then we sat and chatted and some of the stuff he told us he had us laughing out loud a lot of times thinking oh my god some of the stories about when the plane crashed unbelievable because he devised this maneuver when he was in the spitfires to evade being hit and he actually came up with this maneuver where when they were coming into land he he was talking about all the strafing that would go on and they had to kind of time it before a strafing came back round so they could land and be safe he says so what he and it was very vulnerable as you came down that altitude you were really in a vulnerable position so he decided i want to drop like a stone just to avoid it, I'm going to drop like a stone. So he came up with this manoeuvre where he literally put the plane completely on its side and just drop from wherever he was to right down to about a 1,000 feet, pull it out of it, level off and land quick and be done. And that was adopted. That manoeuvre was adopted. So then he said after the war, Alan became a test pilot for military aircraft, which he did until the into the 70s. But he did an air show up in Edinburgh and he's, he's flying a mosquito. And it's a wooden framed mosquito. And most of them are uh, now metal. So he's flying this mosquito and there's an air show and there's all the crowd below. And he says, I'll do that manoeuvre to show them what I used to do when we were in the Spitfires. So he's turned on its side and he's dropped down. He's gone down to about 500 feet, pulled it out and gone, yeah, got it level and thought, "Uh uh-oh, all the controls are jammed. They'd completely seized. But they'd seized with the rudder in a position that meant you're going to hit the ground head on. And 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 this is where you realise why certain people are pilots because there's just no matter what they just remain calm in the face of terror do you know what i mean it's like the old duck underwater duck on the water calm on the top underneath oh panic (laughs) but he said to us he said right he said i knew now i'm probably going to die as i'm going down i'm 500 feet now i'm heading straight to the ground now head on to the ground i thought right i'm now going to die I don't want to I don't want to burn and I don't want to cause an explosion to hurt anybody else so I'll turn the engine off and do that. And what amazed me and Anne my wife was like 
to be in that position, to have the presence of mind, to be calm enough to go, right, turn that off, turn that off, turn that off, and now just accept what's going to happen. Incredible. So sure enough, hits the ground, bang, smack into the ground. As he hits the ground, he gets catapulted out of his seat and his face strikes the petrol tank as he goes out. He goes flying out. The engine of the aircraft comes right back and crushes where Alan would have been sitting. So it would have been, you know, end of had he been strapped in and the straps had not done what they did and he came out. But he's landed on the floor, his face completely obliterated. So then he said for months and months and months later, he's in hospital having reconstructive surgery on his face. And if you think now, this was like 60 odd years ago, that was kind of groundbreaking to have that kind of surgery done. Because as he's talking to us, he's got grabbing his nose and going, that's new, that's new, that's new. <laughs> It's just incredible. And we're like, wow. So many other stories. He told us about one crash where he had somebody else with him. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to keep you for too long, but it's just an amazing story. They're flying this uh, Lysander. I think it's a Lysander. I think it's a Lysander. They're flying along, two-seater. He's got a newbie in the back of the seat. Alan's flying it because he's the chief test pilot. The other guy's coming off a bit of experience. And as they're flying along, the guy in the back says, uh, they notice that the controls are going funny and the plane's starting to lose altitude. And he's going, what on earth's going on here? And the bloke in the back said to him, you've gone through a flock of birds. He said, no, no, I didn't. Didn't go through a flock of birds at all. So he said, they're coming down to land. And eventually he lands and it's proper risky. Uh, but when they, when they landed, what they noticed was it wasn't a flock of birds that had been going past the guy in the back. It was the material covering the wings. So when they landed, he said, literally, it was a wooden frame. You're like, what? You literally had no covering on the frame. And that's why it was losing attitude. There was nothing there to give it lift. You think, Jesus. Amazing. Absolutely amazing stories. And actually, here you go. This was another prize possession. He gave us his book. And he's even signed it here to Glyn and Anne. Best wishes, Alan Scott. I mean, that, you know, <gasps> prize possession. And what a testament to the man. So calm and... Uh... Composed. You can totally see some people are born to be pilots. They just really are because to be able to have that calmness, that rationale, the rational kind of um, mind when all is really going wrong, that's that's what separates them from people like me, I guess. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Well, I've really enjoyed it tonight, Glenn. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak for us. It's been absolutely fascinating and i can't wait to uh to be at the opening at the exhibition it's gonna be incredible yeah. thank you very much i'm looking forward to seeing you there mate i'm i'm really excited i just don't hope time doesn't go too quick between now and then because there's still quite a bit to do but i'm sure we'll be okay you'll be fine i'm sure <laughs> We hope you've enjoyed this episode and if you wish to discover more about Glenn's project and the exhibition, please do check out his website which you can go to at 3945portraits.com. Anyhow, that's all for now folks and thanks for listening. <laughs>